0: We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Can you seated, please? Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone again. So getting out of 2020, we were all looking forward to a new year, right? We had hopes of better things, and we figured that a new year would bring us a different outcome. Then 2021 came, and things seemed totally gotten worse. We saw unrest everywhere, prices going up, and the pandemic continuing. And now in 2022, we're still not sure where things are headed. It is easy to let the worries and cares of this world affect us to the point that we would rather close ourselves off from the world than to face head-on the challenges life throws our way. Unfortunately, we have seen too many people, whether they be in our families, friends, community, and even our church, choose to withdraw than to forge on and remain in community And instead of seeking that help that the church, our families, and communities can provide, they choose to backslide and become reclusive. And there are a number of reasons as to why people become this way. This lack of concern, interest, or enthusiasm goes by a different name, apathy. So the question I want to ask you is, why? Why do some people choose to be apathetic? In this new year, how do we get back to focusing, or even refocusing, on the things that should truly matter in the life of every believer? And that is our relationship and walk with God. Today, I hope to answer this by looking at the characteristics, the root cause, and ways to address apathetic behavior. Malachi, as we read, Malachi Malachi was written during some uncertain times in the nation of Israel. I'm going to give you a little historical perspective of the book about Malachi that should help us uh, understand this topic going forward. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and the name Malachi means my messenger. And we don't know know too much about him. And there are no other references to Malachi in the Bible. Malachi is bringing an oracle, or what we call a prophetic judgment. And he is the last of the minor prophets. Malachi offers no other identifying information about him. And he leaves out markers typical of other prophets such as his father's name or the current leader of Israel. If you could quickly turn to the book of Haggai, which is two two books back. And we see in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, that Haggai says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat. So we see in comparison how in Haggai, we know the year, we know the governor, we know who his father was, but Malachi does not lend that information. The book of Malachi is considered a post-exilic prophecy, which is just a fancy way of saying it it was written after the time of Israel's exile due to their disobedience. And after a period of time, they returned to Israel. The books of Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi all reference this. However, based on the content of the book, it becomes clear that Malachi delivered his message of judgment to a Judean audience familiar with worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem. And we see this if you go back to Malachi chapter 2, verse 11. Malachi says, Judah has dealt treacherously, and that an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign God. The people of Judah had turned away from their true worship of the Lord, leaving themselves under judgment. The book of Malachi teaches us that the nation of Israel still strayed from the Lord's path. They needed God's intervention as much as ever because they gave way to apathy for the things of God. And this led to corruption among the priesthood and a spiritual lethargy among the people. Malachi came along at a time when the people were struggling to believe that God loved them. And we read that already in chapter 1, verse 2, where the Lord says, I have loved you. And what did the, the nation of Israel respond with? In what way have you loved us? The people focused on their unfortunate circumstances and refused to account for their own sinful deeds. So God pointed the finger back at them. And through Malachi, God told the people where they had fallen short of the covenant with him. And if they hoped to see changes, they needed to take responsibility for their own actions and serve God faithfully. What's interesting about the book of Malachi is that he writes in a unique style. And that style is called historical disputation. Basically, the book of Malachi is set up with six arguments disputations, where a statement will be made, and then there's a rhetorical comeback, and then Malachi provides another comeback. So just let's quickly turn to chapter 3 of Malachi, verses 8 to 9, and I'll show you what, what this looks like in, in, in practice. So we see here in chapter 3 of Malachi, verses 8 to 9, where it is said, will a man rob God? Yet, you have robbed me, and here's the comeback. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation, and that's the last comeback. Now is not arguing here with the people, but it is a way of open and honest discussion. And the reason why I'm providing this historical background on the book It's because Malachi wrote to show how the nation of Israel was drifting. And they were left wondering what is going on and what is to come. And the people descended into spiritual apathy. In contrast, we see the uncertainty in where and how we live today. And this should serve as a wake-up call for those drifting into spiritual apathy. So in order to address the problem, of apathy, we first need to define what apathy is. Apathy comes from the Greek word apatheia, which means without feeling or emotion, without feeling or emotion. And we see several examples of apatheia in the Bible. First characteristic of apathy, a lack of action. So let's quickly turn to the book of James. We're going to be going through a lot of verses here, so I I, I highly suggest you take down these notes to reference it later on. But let's turn to the book of James, chapter 1, where we see apathy represented as a lack of action. If we go to verse 22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself." For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is or he was. Lack of action. Number two, apathy is a lack of love. John 14, verse 15 shows us how apathy is a lack of love. That's a very famous verse which goes, if you love me, keep my commandments. Apathy is a lack of love. In short, apathy is just neglect. Neglecting to do the things that you ought to do or ought to be doing. What causes apathy? We have four examples here here of causes of apathy. The first one is pure ignorance. Hosea, please turn to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being, being priests from, Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Ignorance, the lack of knowledge. Preoccupation is another cause of apathy. You see that in John chapter 14, verse 27, which says, Peace, I leave you. I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, and what's the second part of that verse say, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, preoccupation, laziness, laziness, Proverbs 24, chapter 24 verses 30 to 31, talk about laziness. I went by the field of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Laziness is another cause of apathy. And finally, selfishness. Selfishness. Luke chapter 12 tells us, in verse 19, about this. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many, for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Selfishness is another cause of apathy. Now that we've gone through the definition of apathy and some of its characteristics here, let us make a segue to what the dangers of apathy are. Apathy is contagious. Jeroboam in 1 Kings chapter 12 incited the people to apathy. Let's quickly turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. where we see Jeroboam inciting the people to apathy. And we see in verse 28, where it says, Therefore the king asked advice, and he made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. When one becomes apathetic, others become apathetic as well. They start thinking, well, if, it, if he doesn't care about it, why should I? Be careful with that. You may not know, but you're actually spreading that apathetic, that, that feeling of apathy to other, Others. But the Bible warns us about this sort of behavior. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 2, it tells us, You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Be careful. Apathy is contagious. apathy results in atrophy. Any doctors, medical people here, people who watch a lot of medical shows? No? Atrophy. Anybody know what atrophy is? You lose, right. Atrophy is a condition of malnourishment that causes degeneration or wasting away. What happens when you don't exercise? start looking like me, right? Out of shape, I have no muscles, I have no strength. Basically, without exercise, the muscles will atrophy, right? So let's quickly look at the book of Ecclesiastes and what it tells us about atrophy. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18, tells us, because of laziness, the building decays. And through idleness of hands, the house leaks." Atrophy. And it's not only physical atrophy, but most importantly, spiritual atrophy. Luke chapter 12, verses 45 to 46, tell us, but if if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Apathy results in atrophy. Apathy results in death physical and spiritual death. You've probably heard of, of situations where people have been bed-rated for a long period of time and they develop bed sores and their muscles are just no longer good, right? That's physical, um, apathy leading to atrophy leading to physical death. But we see here in Proverbs chapter 21 where spiritual apathy leads to death. And Proverbs 21:25 tells us, that the desire of the lazy man, what? Kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. We also see in Matthew, Matthew 25, verses 26 to 28, where we see here, But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And in my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Apathy ends in death. So now that we have defined apathy and looked at its various characteristics, let us look now the root cause of apathy. Simply put, the root cause of spiritual apathy is forgetting God's love. When you forget God's love, you become apathetic. Let's go back to Malachi, please. Malachi chapter 1. And in verse 2, we see, again, the Lord saying, I have loved you. And what did the nation of Israel respond with? How have you loved us? They forgot God's love for them. They forgot that God led them through the desert, through exile, providing bread from heaven, providing their every need. And at the end of the day, they had the audacity to ask God, How have you? This has three characteristics that I want you guys to pay clear attention to. The first one is failing to recognize that God's love is unchanging. God has always been a God of love. And unfortunately, there is an argument in Scripture where it is said that God of the Old Testament was just a God of justice and wrath.
1: And in the New Testament,
0: he's a God of love. Now, that's not completely true. You must read the Bible as a whole. The God of Scripture fundamentally is a God of love. In the Old Testament, they talk about his steadfast love and his unchanging nature. For example, if we look at Hosea, you don't have to turn there, but the book of Hosea, who remembers Hosea, right? God commanded him to marry a prostitute an adulteress as a symbol of what? Israel's unfaithfulness to God. Right? Israel was the adulteress here. And we see that Hosea was publicly humiliated by having to marry this prostitute. But if we look quickly at Hosea, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who was loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. Even though, even though, even under these circumstances, his love is and was and forever will be unchanging. But the people in Malachi, the book of Malachi, had the audacity to retort and say, how can you say you love us? They didn't see the love of God in their circumstances. And even though they couldn't see it, it doesn't mean God's love wasn't there or left them. And parents, right? We can relate, right? Sometimes we have to make these harsh decisions for our children, right? And sometimes they might say, Well, you don't love me. You don't love me, Dad. You don't love me, Mom. We love them. They may not see it in those circumstances, but we're doing it out of love. And here's another example. all the parents here, right, with, their, with, with young kids, or who, who had young kids, right, um, when we had to put them to sleep, or put them down for their afternoon nap, right, what happened? The kids were, I don't want to go to sleep, I don't want to go to sleep, I they just want to stay up and party, I saw Andrew peek his head out, looking at me, all right, Andrew? Yeah, you go, right? So what happens, right, the kids put up an, a fight with us. They didn't want to sleep. And they didn't understand, right? They didn't understand why they had to be put down for their afternoon nap, right? But we as parents know why. Because they're growing physically. They're developing. And they need that rest. They need that time of of rest and sleep to grow. And we did it out of love. There was also another benefit for the parents, right? We got a little quiet time, right? Because we need to refresh and recharge our batteries as well. Okay? We know as parents that this is the loving and right thing to do. And the same applies to God. God's love is the same even though we don't feel it or understand it sometimes. But we may ask now, in the in year in this year, 2022, how do you love us, God? For all this has been going on, right? Pandemic, wars, threats of war, and famine, high prices, and all this other stuff. How do you love us? I want you to pay attention to this. God's love is rooted in his infinite wisdom and not in our temporal understanding. God's love is rooted in his infinite wisdom and not our temporal understanding. Another way of saying that is we're short-sighted, okay? We sometimes throw up these blinkers, these blinders, And we don't see the whole picture. But be reminded, God's love is unchanging. Second characteristic is that we often forget that God's love is unconditional. We see the story in Genesis of Jacob and Esau. And we know that the covenant passed through Jacob, not through Esau, right? And we see here in verse 3 in Malachi where it says, But Esau I have hated. and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. But we may think here, wow, Malachi uses the word hate. So does God hate people? No. Clearly he is talking about God's relationship with his people. The Lord's love for Jacob referred or refers to his descendants who were his people by divine election through whom the Redeemer of the world, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, would come. The Lord abhorred the idolatry of Esau's descendants who were the Edomites. And if we were to take a stab at rephrasing this verse, it it can be rewritten as I have chosen Jacob but I have not chosen Esau. And we also see this quoted in the book of Romans. You quickly turn to the book of Romans please chapter 9. And we see here starting with verse 10 where he talks about this selection. And here in Romans 9:10 Paul saying and not only this but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man even by her father Isaac For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. God chooses people to be his people. It is covenant-like choosing people to be in a relationship with them, And some people might view this as cold and callous, but no. God's election and love of people go hand in hand. And where do we see this? Let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, and verses 6 to 8, where it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself special treasure of all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all people. So he didn't choose them because they were a big number and they were actually the smallest group, right? But look what verse 8 says, tells us. But because of the Lord love because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your father The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God says that he has chosen us because of his love before the foundation of the world. So, how can you say that God doesn't love you? The people have been taken away, but they returned. The wall and the temple have been rebuilt. So how can they say that God's love, that God didn't love them? We see that God's love is unconditional. It doesn't depend on what we have done, but who we are. And it doesn't change. God freely gives his love to us, even though we don't deserve it. And a prime example of that is what? Sending us, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? To die on the cross for us. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And Malachi is reminding the nation of Israel, and reminding us today, of this. If we remember who we are, that we are children of Jesus, you will remember and know how much God loves us. So when we doubt, it would be wise for us to look back and read these stories and remember how much God loves us. The third characteristic here is that God's love is unlimited. God's love is unlimited. If we go back to Malachi chapter 1. You see in the fifth verse where Malachi says, Your eyes shall see and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Malachi in this verse is saying that one day you and I. see and praise God They know how expansive his love is. The prophet is looking to that day that we see God's limitless love. His love, God's love, is not limited to who you and I think should be loved. And I want to share with you a, a quick joke from this comedian, this actor, probably most people don't know about him. His name is Emo Phillips. And he had this joke about this, about God's love and how we sometimes feel that certain people shouldn't be loved of how they act and who they are and only us the select few, right, should be loved. And The joke goes like this and this is him speaking once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump and I said don't do it he says, but nobody loves me he says, God loves you believe in God? And he says, yes. And I said, oh, are you a Christian or a Jew? And he says, a Christian. He says, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He says, Protestant. He says, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Then he asked, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? And he says, Northern Baptist. He says, me too. Northern conservative Baptist or Northern liberal Baptist? he says, Northern Conservative Baptist. And he says, me, too! Then he says, Northern Conservative Baptist–Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? And he says, Northern Conservative Baptist – Great Lakes Region. And he says, me, too! Then he asked him, Northern Conservative Baptist–Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist – Great Lakes Region of 1912? And he says, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region of 1912. And he says, die, you heretic. And he pushed them off the bridge. This joke cuts to the heart, unfortunately, of how Christians treat one another. They look for that one thing that doesn't line up with their thinking. And they focus on the one thing that might divide them, or that's different about them. I think this is increasing in this world today. And people believe God only loves them, only loves those who think or act like they do. And as a follower of Christ, we have to be careful that we are not guilty of doing what the unbelievers do. We don't want to treat them the same way they treat others. We should want to do things the way God has instructed us to, and we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. This example shows us how at times we show others a limited amount of love and accept only those who think like we do. But we should all know that the love of God towards us is completely unlimited. Rather than forcing people to submit to us by exercising raw power, let's persuade people to embrace So now that we've looked at the definition of apathy, its root cause, some of the dangers, what's the next logical step? How do we fix it? How do we address it? So there are three ways here of how to address and fix spiritual apathy. The first is we need spiritual nourishment. Spiritual nourishment to prevent apathy. In other words, a real, real, real relationship with Jesus Christ. And we see that in Matthew chapter five, 5, verse 6, where it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We also see that in John chapter 6, verse 35 it says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Spiritual nourishment. Second, spiritual exercise. Again, just like physically we need exercise, we need spiritual exercise. And this manifests itself in four ways. The first, Bible study, Romans 15.4 tells us, for well, whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Second, prayer, through prayer, probably one of the most famous verses of the Bible, and one of the shortest, First Thessalonians. Thessalonians 5.17. What's it say? Three words. Pray without ceasing. Prayer. The third is attendance. What do I mean by attendance? Attendance to the church, to the services. Attendance. Hebrews 10.25 tells us, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching attendance and the last here is giving 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 to 2 say now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the church of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as you may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Here he's talking about money, right? Giving offerings that way. But we can also give of our time, right? Which has no price tag on it also give of our time. So spiritual exercise, Bible study, prayer, attendance, giving. The last one, spiritual action. We need spiritual action to prevent apathy. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39 tells us of preventing apathy through spiritual action for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are and he will not neglect the house of our God he's talking about getting people involved in the church to prevent apathy secondly Luke Chapter 12. Luke 12, verses 42 to 44 tells us And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler for all that he has. We need spiritual action to prevent apathy. God's love is expansive and limitless. And he sent his only son to die for us. For all all of us. And he is in heaven waiting for that day so that we can all see how much and how deep his love is for us. So that is what Malachi is focusing on here. The root of spiritual apathy forgetting God's love. We start to drift, like on a boat, right? We go to and fro. But we need to keep our focus on God's love. And we see that quickly in 1 John 4.19, where it says, we love him because he first loved us. And we need to keep our focus on that. If we do, our love and hearts will overflow. The surest way to drift is to forget how God loves us. And it is only when we receive God's love for us that we can start living our life for God. Spiritual apathy is a heart issue. And that's what Malachi is focusing on. The people were still doing the right things, but their hearts were not in it. Without the love of God, their rituals amounted to nothing. If the measure of your spiritual health is your activity, then you've missed it. I'm going to repeat that. If the measure of your spiritual health is your activity, then you've missed it. The measure of spiritual health should be our love of God based on his love for us. God loves us. He sent his son to die for us in our place when we should have been there. He called us before the foundation of the world because He loves us. God loves you, And to avoid spiritual apathy, we need to keep our focus on that. No matter what we feel or how we think, we must always remember that God loves us. So in conclusion, we must fight apathy on a daily basis. How? Number one, understanding what it is. Apathy is neglect, it's a lack of action. Okay? It's forgetting to do what you're supposed to do, or, not, or knowing what you're supposed to do and not doing it. Neglect. Number two, recognizing it's dangerous. you have seen that apathy is contagious. And the last is that it, we must address apathy through action. Through spiritual nourishment, through exercise, and through action. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank-, we thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.